Ode to the Coyote O wily coyote, prince of the night, you win henhouse games, then depart in full flight. Your nocturnal antics give cause to howl, the locals are frantic, at dawn they cry foul. You are cursed by the farmer, you old pullet stealer, then you lose playing chicken with an 18-wheeler. All right, welcome back to Misery Point Radio. Good to have you here once again. And today's show going to bring you something just a little different. Just to prove the point that Misery Point is not only about the musicians, it's about the artists, the creative people in the world that want to share their awesomeness And of course, I like to be the conduit for awesomeness sharing. So today's guest, I met about a year ago at a show being performed by my good friend, Linda Nicole Blair, who was on my other podcast, On The Edge. And we kind of lost touch, lost contact info, whatever the reasons. We met up again a few months back at another show hosted by another friend of mine, Mr. Jeff Tasson, who was on this show a couple months back. So, today, determined to make this happen, we got a chance to sit down and have an amazing conversation because we talked about poetry that combines two amazing elements of life, humor and motorcycles. That's right, motorcycle poetry. So, is today's guest a poet, a comic, a yard reclamation artist, a philosopher? The answer is all of the above. And on top of that, he's got this amazing voice, such an amazing presence that just begs you to sit back and listen, and really listen. And the stories he tells, and the ways he gets his inspiration, and how he talks about some personal challenges that have helped to influence him, is just epic. All right, so welcome to Misery Point Radio, the motorcycle poet, Craig Gurney. Craig, thanks for joining me on the show, finally. Well, thanks for having me out tonight. This is great. Yeah, you know... um, it's been a, it's been kind of a long process of a tag back and forth, but I, I do like the uh, the idea, the story of uh, when you and I first met at uh, Linda Nicole Blair's show, and that was over a year ago, as I was thinking about, and then by coincidence, we met up again at uh, Jeff Tasson uh, Brother Don's Songwriter Showcase. Yes, and uh, then I'm like, you know, I can't lose your contact info again. <laughs> we got to make this happen. So. Here we are uh, a year and some change later, finally uh, getting a chance to, to sit down and do this. So uh, so looking forward to finally finally talking to you and, uh, and having, having a good time on the show today. So awesome. So motorcycle poetry. This is intriguing to me. So first off, why poetry? Second off, why motorcycles? Tell us about what you do and how you got started. So dude, here's what happened. I've always been a storyteller. Uh, I mean, I can, I can recall 
way back when my mom used to say, now, are you telling me a story? <laughs> and that usually meant I was in trouble. You were a liar. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, started riding uh, Harley in 2003. And uh, my mom was living down in Oklahoma. So uh, in 2009, I rode down to see her. And it was about a 2,000 mile ride. So I would do from th- where to where? From uh, the Seattle area. Okay. To uh, a little town in central Oklahoma called Watonga. Okay. And uh, three 700 mile days would put me at her door. Oh. I would visit for four or five days. And then three 700 mile days would put me back up here in the Northwest. Uh, fast forward to June of 2011. And I was headed back down to see my mom. And I got a brother and sister down there as well. And down in southern Idaho, I saw a roadkill coyote. And about 100 miles later, I saw another roadkill coyote. And this little six-line ditty called Ode to the Coyote came to mind. And I wrote it in my head and wrote it down when I got to the hotel that night. And the rest is history. And that's the little ditty that we heard uh, before the show intro. Yes. Correct? Yeah. So that started it all. That started it all. And how did it progress from there? Ode to the Possum. (laughs) (laughs) bunny versus cars um uh, ricky raccoon with apologies to the beatles right um and and i think we'll we'll see all of those tonight yeah (laughs) so uh there was a lot of roadkill in your early inspirational times initially yes and then uh you know stories about the red-headed waitress with nice boobs that wouldn't serve me breakfast um (laughs) Um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think of where, you know, just flying down the highway words, I don't pipe music into my helmet. And so, uh, you know, I spend a lot of time just thinking. Right. And part of what I do, because I have a, a little background in community theater and when I'm working on my lines for a show, I try to do, if I have a trouble with a particular line, I'll try to do that line 50 different ways. Sure. So when I'm on the bike and I'm, I've been inspired and I'm writing a poem, I'll write it and write it and, and read it and read it and recite it and recite it. And it just, it, it's, a, it's a constant evolving thing. But I've been lucky enough, Mike, to be given a gift. And a lot of my poems, I write them in my head and I don't change very many words for, for the end result. Do you write them down as you go or is this something that kind of has worked out entirely in your head? Uh, generally in, in my head, because I'm on the bike, right. You know, there's, there's not a a real easy way to write or record. Um, and, and I've lost a couple don't, don't get me wrong. I've, I've lost a couple because I haven't gotten them written down quick enough. (laughs) And, and those, I I don't know that they'll ever come back to me, but somebody else will grab them. So victims of the open road. So so talking about motorcycles, I myself am a motorcycle fan, uh, fanatic writer, not quite a, of the collector stage, but I sure like me some motorcycles. So, so let's talk about the bike that you were on when you got started doing this. What were you riding? A 2002 Harley Davidson Heritage. Okay. I have a Heritage soft tail. Way cool. Up. Yeah. Way cool. Love it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Love the Heritage. Um, kind of like the whole retro vibe to it. And, uh, Love the sounds and it's super comfortable bike. So, and is that, do you still have the heritage? I do. Yeah. yeah. In fact, um, th- I had two bikes at one point I had a 2000 road glide oh. and through the course of my divorce at one point, my attorney came down the hallway and he said, she wants one of the bikes. And I said, which one? Cause I'm not fighting over a bike. Right. 
And he said she wanted the road glide. And I said, that's done deal. Okay. Let's, let's sign the papers. <laughs> sign the papers. <laughs> and uh, you kept the heritage. And, yes. And uh, I say good choice. Well, when I first started saying I wanted to buy a bike, and it was one of these days, one of these days, you know, and uh, I actually found this one quite by accident. I, I have been a handyman for many years, and I came out of a particular job site and went a different direction than I had been going, saw this kid on his bike in his driveway, stopped to, to see if he liked it because that was the model that I was kind of leaning towards. And by the end of the conversation, he offered it to me for sale. Yeah for exactly what he owed against it on the bank. So uh, I got what I thought was a screaming deal. So you got a killer deal. He got out from under the loan and everybody fucking exactly. wins. Exactly. And I got a 14-month-old bike with 600 miles on it. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's crazy cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I have a uh, I have a 2009 Heritage, and uh, the guy bought it, apparently was afraid to drive it, sat in the garage for who knows how long. So I think it had... 1800 miles on it when I bought it, yeah. but it's, you know, it was eight, nine years old already at that point. Sure. But, uh, you know, it was basically a brand new bike. And then I also have a 1977 Triumph Bonneville Silver Jubilee still in metric. So, oh, uh, one goodness. of a uh, very few, uh, produced and my dad got that back in the, in the early eighties. And, uh, it's been in the family kind of ever since. And so, you know, it's, it's super old school Lucas electrical. It's a mess. Um, it has a lot of those old British problems, okay. but it's super nostalgic and, uh, it, it's, it's a fun little ride, but you know, it never runs. It's always got to have something, <laughs> something to where my wife's probably like, yeah, that fucking bike never runs, you know, but, uh, yeah, it costs, costs more to maintain it than it does to ride it. So, but I don't know, there's something about it. It's got that, uh, got that super old school feel to it stripped down, you know, no creature comforts, right. uh, you know, it's almost like a hard tail. It just bounces all over the place. So, but you know, there's something about, you know, people that, that ride, you find that not only are a lot of those guys and girls free spirits, but you know, they just have this attitude of, you know, whatever comes will come. And so, um, there's, there's a lot of creativity that you find yourself, you know, if you're riding down the road and all you have in front of you is scenery and you don't have music in your headset or music in your helmet. And so you're just left with your own isolated thoughts. Um, that can definitely be pretty creatively sparking. Was that the case with you? For me, it, 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 I really got bit by the poetry bug. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I said, I've always been a storyteller and now I'm telling stories in rhyme and, uh, um, not every story, but a lot of them. And, uh, I've just, I've, I've been blessed with this gift. I really have been. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you remember the first poem that you shared with somebody else. That probably would have been Ode to the Coyote. Okay. Yeah. Ode to the Coyote and Ode to the Possum kind of came fairly quickly. And, and so those were the first poems that I started sharing with people. And do you have Ode to the Possum with you today? Right hand. Let's yes. do it. Let's hear it. Okay. Ode to the Possum. Hey, Mr. Possum, you're certainly awesome. I'm convinced by your pose you have passed. You lie perfectly still how determined your will. It seems that in concrete it's cast. You are skilled. You deceive. It's hard to believe how perfect this role you've created. How precise this act. Some claim there's no tact. You're despised, criticized, even hated. Ah, but wait. What's this part? Is this real? Is this art? Your body and limbs all askew. Your pelt is ruffled, my gasp is not muffled, I hope, no, I pray it's not true. 
Could it be that your smile, while grotesque, all the while results from your jaw being crushed? And entrails are strewn down the line while the moon casts shadows of vehicles rushed. I alone, slow to see fecal splash, blood and pee, the gray matter leaks from your head. I guess I'll be the one to end all your fun. Mr. Possum, wake up, dude, you're dead. <laughs> awesome. Oh, you know, and, and what I like about your stuff is that it's, it's got great rhythm, it's got great flow, and it's got humor and it's it's just it's you're smiling when you're listening to it because it just it's very the images that are evoked in your head you can see the picture no thanks mike i have often said to people if you're a passenger climb on and hang on if you're a rider pull up next to me let's go handlebar to handlebar for a while but let's go down the road together i want you folks to see what i'm seeing hear what i'm hearing smell what i'm smelling and and I think I'm lucky enough to be able to do that with my words. Oh yeah, it's awesome. They're very, they're very visual, and I, I know that we're going to get more out of you today. Um, I am curious. So once you kind of got bitten with the poetry bug, and uh, you know you're alone on your Harley, you're riding down the road, you're a prisoner of your own thoughts. Once you realize that this was something that you could do. Did you then switch to a different mode and say, okay, now I actually have to do this. I've really got to make this a plan to come up with more material. I don't think that happened for a couple of years and, and thousands of miles. But um, because initially I think the opportunities just came to me, but nowadays I look for those opportunities. So um, I guess to answer your question, uh, it, it's kind of a mixture okay. Uh, in the sense that I, I don't go for a ride to write a poem. Okay. Um, but often I write a poem when I go for a ride. Okay. <laughs> so, awesome. So you're still riding. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. And uh, so you, you just pay more attention now then to your surroundings and you look for those things that, ooh, that might be stimulus for, for something new. Sure. There was a, there's a sign in Paulsbo and I honestly don't remember the, the name of the restaurant and it may be defunct now, but it said something like, uh, pizza, pasta, beer and wine. And you know, I take that to another and come on in, the water's fine. And I just, and I don't know where I'm going to go with that. Okay. So it's going to sit on the back burner. And one of these days I'll write a poem about an Italian restaurant and that, that will probably be in there. <laughs> Speaking of restaurants, I got to ask you, you kind of touched on earlier when we were doing the intro, but uh, you mentioned something about a waitress not wanting to serve you food. <laughs> I got to ask about that I, uh, before I forget. Okay. So uh, like we talked earlier, uh, well, maybe we, maybe we didn't talk about this. Um, riding down to Oklahoma to see my mom, three 700 mile days would put me at her door. Sure. So to do that, you start early, you ride late, you get up and you start early again and you ride late. And what I found myself doing, because I've, I've made several round trips, plus, you know, I rode back to the Harley Davidson Museum and down through Texas. And, um, but when I'm riding these long days, I find that if I get up early and slam a Mountain Dew in a granola bar, I can do a couple of tanks of gas before I have to stop for breakfast. Okay. So what happened in this particular case was I had spent the night in Southern Idaho 
and was headed out across Wyoming and um, about 11 o'clock in the morning. And I pulled in. I already had a couple of couple hundred miles behind me and I pulled in to have breakfast. The fellow in the booth behind me, I, I heard him ask the waitress something about breakfast. And she said, it's after 11. You have to order off the lunch menu. So he said, well, I got to think about that. She came up and asked me if she could give me some coffee. And I said, no, I'd like a glass of water. But did I hear right? You're not serving breakfast. She said, no, you have to order lunch. The cook just cleaned the grill. (laughs) And immediately I thought, well, I want breakfast, so I'll go find another breakfast joint. And then I thought in a little podunk town out in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming, the rules are probably always all, they're going to be the same. So I might as well just order off the lunch menu. And that's what happened. And I, as I rode away after I had lunch, I wrote a poem called Breakfast. Okay, let's hear breakfast. Okay, give me just a second. (laughs) On the bike till damn near midnight and back on the road by six. Sunrise, a faded memory. My thoughts are in a mix. Flying low and feeling mean, I'm not sure where I was, but I knew I needed fuel and breakfast and a caffeine buzz. So I took the next exit, and near the big shell sign, a little handmade banner claimed a friendly place to dine. I checked the oil and topped the tank and then replaced the cap, climbed back into the saddle and took a victory lap. I ended up at that cafe and parked right near the door. I'll have a little breakfast, then perhaps a little more. Going in, I passed a trucker. He warned to check your teeth for bugs, because there's a redhead waitress, and oh, she's got great jugs. Now, he wasn't even joking. There she was with that red hair. And her jugs, well, they were perfect. Never seen a finer pair. Her uniform was tailored. It fit her like a glove. I tell you, boys, right then and there, I think I fell in love. And she said, hey there, cowboy, a table or a booth. Are you looking for my name tag? Well, my name is Ruth. She beckoned. Follow me. I'll seat you in the back. She handed me a menu and chuckled, choose your heart attack. I felt compelled to ask her, are you serving breakfast still? You'll have to order lunch, she said. The cook just cleaned the grill. She asked me now when I come back, what would you like to drink? I said, Mountain Dew. She offered, just do me, wink, wink. She came back with my soda in the short time she was gone. I swear she'd somehow managed to splash more perfume on. She asked, ready to order? Well, what did you see? I said, I really wanted breakfast but I'll take the BLT. She headed for the kitchen, and I thought, hmm, great legs. I queried, Ruth, would you ask the cook to please fry up two eggs and throw them on my sandwich? A specialty for sure. A hybrid fried egg BLT, the tardy breakfast cure. She gave the order to the cook. He gave me an icy stare. She said, oh, don't worry. He looks tough, but he's a teddy bear. She leaned across the table to pick the extra silver up, affording me a close-up view of that 36D cup. (laughs) A thin gold chain with broken heart was all she wore for bling. The cook barked, order up, and a little bell went ding. She placed the plate before me and said, I'll refresh your drink, and don't be shy now, darling. You just tell me what you think. Well, I think I'd like to see your boobs. (laughs) <laughs> That's what crossed my mind, but but I just stuttered, oh, okay, sure, it's all that I could find. She took the empty vessel, and as she walked away, I swear she put a little extra in that sweet sachet. 
Now I opened up my sandwich and what I wanted most was right there on my plate. Bacon, eggs, and toast. The breakfast I was craving, I couldn't ask for more. The lettuce and tomatoes, well, they're just a bonus score. The cook stepped from the kitchen. There was anger in his tone. He growled, Ruth, I'm getting tired of this. Your boyfriend's on the phone. She slipped around the corner. She thought I couldn't hear, but I could, and what I heard made me cold with fear, cause she hissed, damn it, Bobby, you stupid little jerk, how many times I gotta tell you, don't call me at work. If you make me lose this job, I don't know what we'll do, cause we both know, pencil dick, we sure can't count on you. <laughs> did you call to tattle? Well, I don't care what he did, you better learn to take it, cause I really like my kid. She yelled, listen, Bobby, you lazy, spineless slug, you better do some chores today, I'll squash you like a bug. There's dishes needing washed, and there's laundry on the line. I will reach right through this phone and slap you if you start to whine. Now I'm going to get home late tonight, I'm busy here in town. And with that, she dismissed him and slammed the handset down. You must be ready for dessert, so saucily she cooed. I guess yelling Bobby's name put her back into the mood. She asked, how about something sweet before you hit the road? And with the slightest hesitation, I said, cobbler a la mode. She went to dish my goodie. I looked for my way out. When she came back, she served it up with a little pout. She said, I'm guessing you're an outlaw and I'll bet you're on the run. I said, honey, how romantic, but that doesn't sound like fun. No, I'm just a good old boy making my way home. Cowboy, please tell me your name. Well, Ruth, my name's uh, Jerome. <laughs> she touched my hand and turned away and headed toward the rear. Now, I could be mistaken, but I swear I saw a tear. I ate most of the cobbler. She hadn't left a bill, so I just dropped a five for her and a twenty for the till. I bumped into the busboy. I think his name was Jeff. I said, please convey my compliments sincerely to the chef. Well, he looked at me all stupid like I thought he would, so I revised my message. Tell the cook the grub was good. He nodded comprehension where I half expected lip. Then as he passed the table, I watched him palm the tip. I reached out to grab him, then thought better of it. No, I told myself, put on your gloves, get on your bike and go. I headed out the front and fired up the green beast, got her off the kickstand and nosed her toward the east. Right there, I paused and thought, I'll tell this tale for years. Then I dropped the clutch, twisted hard, and started grabbing gears. <laughs> awesome. So, you know, there's one thing I noticed is you've got this book in front of you, a lot of stuff written. You're doing this all off memory, though. The open book that I have in front of me is, yeah. a, is a crutch. Yeah. You know, um, it, it makes me feel good. But, yes, I, I try to recite rather than read. Yeah. Um, it, it's, they're like songs. I mean, I don't know what your writing process is. Um, but I assume that if you're talking over and over and over and over in your head, as time goes by, everything just kind of makes its own logical sense. And just by sheer repetition, it just commits itself to your memory. It, it does. And, uh, I'm always looking for the perfect delivery. If I'm, especially if I'm having trouble with a particular line. So, um, and again, Mike, making reference to the gift I've been given, it's not very often that I have to go looking for a rhyming word or, um, 
how, how to sequence something. It, it just seems to flow. Sure. Um, as far as the meter, yes, there are times I'll add an and or a well or something like that to get that, to get that little extra, um, zing. <laughs> right. I mean, to, just to make the meter work. I, I, I don't try to do anything gratuitously. Uh, I, I like for it to flow well. Right. So at what point then did this start getting to where you're now performing? How, how did that go from doing this for yourself, just for shits and grins, basically to, Oh my God, all of a sudden you're out in front of somebody doing this. Well, I mentioned earlier, I've done, um, several shows in community theater. Sure. And, uh, so I've, I've never been, I grew up on a, in a small farm and we did 4-H and, you know, they had, uh, you did demonstrations, you needed public speaking. And so I've, I've never been shy as far as being on stage or, or being the center of attention. In fact, I, I'm an applause whore. I love the applause. Holy cow. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and, and you get a good audience that, that laughs in the right places and applauds in the right places. And that energy comes back and you just roll it and give it right back to them. And, and so there's an elevation that happens there. Um, and I may have gotten off track a little bit um, back to your question. And repeat your question for oh. me, if, if you would. <laughs> uh, man, you're not even drinking. <laughs> I'm the one who's drinking. Um, yeah, so what I what I uh, wanted to know was how it came to the point where this this moved into something that you were all of a sudden doing in front of people. So I, I shared a couple of poems with family and friends, and um, somebody told me that I was writing in the genre of cowboy poetry. Okay. I had no idea what cowboy I've poetry I've never heard was. of cowboy poetry. Um, there is a huge gathering in Elko, Nevada. been going on for years. Um, in fact, probably the largest cowboy poetry gathering, and, and there, it's cowboys telling stories about the horses they've loved and the women they've lost or the women they've loved and the horses they've lost, and they're all sitting around the campfire and the coyotes are howling in the background. And, you know, I, I came to realize... And, and often when I do a self-introduction, I introduce myself as a modern day saddle tramp riding an iron pony right. and writing cowboy poetry. It's, it's just a, a little bit different cowboy. Sure. So what was the first performance that you did with your motorcycle inspired poetry? I honestly, I believe it was Brother Don's. Okay. That would have been back in, I started writing writing in 2011, and I started reading at open mics in 2012. So uh, Brother Don's in Bremerton, uh, Pat's Little Red Barn down in Belfair. Okay. Uh, both of those are songwriter showcases, which um, most open mics in the North Kitsap, Pierce County area are geared toward music. Sure. Um, I've only been told one time that I couldn't read my poetry at an open mic and there's a long story behind that, but ultimately I did. Okay. I would love to hear that story. <laughs> okay. I was told I'm kind of a pushy bastard, but <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so, uh, and, and over the, over the years, uh, Jeff Tasson down at brother Don's, he has often introduced me as our resident poet. Right. And, and I love it when that happens. Um, so, you know, I just, I, I found the, uh, um, found the open mics locally and I've spread out a little bit and, um, we'll talk a little bit later about having major surgery in November. And yes. I found myself in, uh, 
in Seattle at a friend's house in, in her spare bedroom for seven weeks in pajamas and slippers. And when I finally got to where I was strong enough to go out, I immediately started looking for open mics in Seattle and found a couple. And the first one I went to over there was at a place called the Hop Vine Pub. And when I went there, I realized it was a 30-something man bun pub. And I just (laughs) wasn't sure if my cowboy-type poetry, cowboy motorcycle poetry was going to fly with the 30 man buns. (laughs) Full of hipsters. But it did. They absolutely, I mean, they loved it. (laughs) And I I think, I, I truly believe what I write um, transcends uh, all ages and, and, and all methods of travel because I'm writing stories about what I see on the road and sure. everybody, whether you're in a pickup truck or an RV or, or a motorcycle and the, or a Prius, the, the, or a Prius. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> road stories are road stories. Right. Hmm. Well, since you brought it up, um, I don't want to jump the shark yet, but, uh, you did, you had some surgery here recently. What's going on? So let me back up to uh, oh, probably late 2017, early 2018. And I started having some real difficulties in, in my lower back. I was just experiencing a lot of dull, aching pain in my lower back. And uh, as a sideline to my day job, I, I have a garden art business. And at the end of the day, I would climb in my vehicle and just go, oh, shit, my back hurts so bad. And I would just put it off to working too hard and being out of position. Sure. And, uh, just getting older is life. Yep. And uh, so now fast forward to uh, May of 2018. And uh, I got up one particular morning and had no equilibrium. And I kind of fell over onto the bed and uh, called my dear friend Valerie. And I said, Valerie, I think I need to go to ER because something's not right. So she came over and, and I, I should say, she, she said, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And I said, give me 20. I want to grab a quick shower. <laughs> so, so <laughs> she came over, took me to ER. And when I arrived at the Silverdale ER, they did some tests. And basically what they found was I had zero kidney function. Damn. Um, they did a CAT scan and they found that I had a, a kidney stone that had moved into the tube between left kidney and bladder but the stone was so big that it acted as a cork completely stopping all kidney function in the left kidney. Okay. They didn't know why my right kidney wasn't functioning, but when they went up through the urinary tract with the camera and the laser and all of that to deal with the stone, that's when they found a rather large tumor in my bladder that was blocking the right kidney explanation for why the right kidney isn't working. All right. The thing we don't know is how long the tumor had been growing and how long the right kidney had not been functioning. Sure. Um, they, um, they lasered out the tumor and I had to go back in later for them to deal with the stone, which they did. But, um, it's, it's a long drawn out story, but short version of the long story is a real roller coaster ride, including the tumor regrowing okay. and blocking the right kidney again, which necessitated a nephrostomy tube, which is where they poke a hole in your back to poke a hole in your kidney to drain the kidney through a, a tube going into your back. 
Okay. Um, I know there's a poem in there somewhere and, <laughs> and it's probably going to have something to do with now I don't have to go to prison because I've been shanked in the kidney. <laughs> so, so <laughs> my wife is laughing over there. <laughs> and, um, and I can laugh about it. I mean, it, it's, it's not funny at all, but it, it can be, you sure. know, um, I've kept a really positive attitude. In fact, there are times on the, uh, uh, you know, in, in the cancer ward where I spent a little bit of time, I think the nurses just didn't know what to do with me because I wasn't 99% gloom and doom, you know, sure. um, I embraced it. I fought it. I, I, I believe right now I'm cancer free. And part of that has to do with in November, they took my bladder out and, uh, they took out my bladder, my prostate and 17 lymph nodes. Everything got sent off to pathology. And for all intents and purposes, everything was contained in the bladder. Crazy. It's crazy. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm loving every minute of it. That's awesome. Um, and you look great. Well, thank you. Um, there was, there was a time that I didn't look so great and that was during chemotherapy, which I would not wish on anybody. Yeah. Well, you know, nobody looks great during that. Oh, Lordy. Um, so yeah, I was down to about 16 hairs on my head after I cut off a 26 inch ponytail, when, just, which is when I first met you. Yes. 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 Um, and I knew the chemo was going to take my hair. So I cut it off and it's, it's, uh, being prepped to go to a place called wigs for kids. Oh, cool. I know it well. Okay. And my understanding, uh, is, um, I was originally going to give it to locks for love, but I understand they sell the wigs that they produce where wigs for kids are there. The donated hair donated, has been donated yeah. back to the kids. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, so, um, I'm a cancer survivor. I have a, uh, I have an appointment late in February to see my uh, surgeon for the first time and to do a follow-up cat scan. And we're just, uh, fingers crossed that I'm still cancer free, which I, I truly believe I am. Awesome. Well, uh, we will definitely uh, pray that that's the outcome there for you of all of that piles of craziness your attitude still being what it is is remarkable i gotta ask did you get any material out of that i i did and i, I have one that's not finished but i would like i would love to share just a, a couple of words um throw us what you got okay yeah. okay so and we'll I, leave the door open to revisit it later on and and i i do want to finish this yeah. poem and and i'll i'll prep i'll you know i'll give you a little bit of uh, a backstory and has anybody heard this yet um a couple of people at the oncology place in Polsbo, because I started writing it during one of my six sure. minute chemotherapy treatments when I said, I got to have a pen right now. <laughs> um, uh, but my dear friend, Melissa, who I spent uh, seven weeks at her apartment on Queen Anne, because that put me closer to the hospital. Sure. And um, Melissa has accompanied me to a couple of my appointments. And that's kind of where this where this went. I don't have a title yet, but uh, this is more or less the, the world premiere as far as performing. Goes. Uh, oh, absolutely. All yeah, right. this this has really never been done in, in a public forum. All right. Um, and I'm only going to give you the first part of it because I really don't remember the the all of it, sure. but, uh, uh, it goes something like, uh, uh, the doctor explained the procedure. The nurse kept nodding her head. I'm sure glad Melissa was taking notes. Cause I don't remember one word the doc said, and I'm sure what he said is important. I just wish I had better retention. I'm sure glad Melissa was taking notes. She's my ounce of contention prevention. 
and it goes on, but but I, I haven't perfected the the next couple of stanzas, sure. and I, I haven't finished the poem by any means. Right. Well, we just got the teaser, ladies and gentlemen. So you're uh, <laughs> you're among the first to hear it. So thanks for sharing that one. So now that you've worked your way kind of past that, you're feeling good. You're looking good. You're out there performing again. You just, in fact, got back from doing a couple of shows on the road. Tell us about that. So uh, a dear friend of mine named Stephanie, who I met about a year ago, and she is the hostess at uh, a couple of different open mics. She was inviting me to come down to Tacoma to the Odd Otter Brewing Company on Sunday night, which is when she does a, a, an open mic down there. And I finally made it down there. There was a comedian there named uh, Margaret who heard me read and I, I loved her work and she told me that she loved my work. And the next thing I know, I'm getting an invitation from her to be a part of two shows at Shady Jack's Bar and Grill in Silverdale, Washington, um, Friday the 15th, Friday, February 15th. Um, there were four comics and this crazy motorcycle poet. And then on <laughs> Sunday the 17th, there were three lady comedians and this crazy motorcycle poet. And uh, I really never considered myself a comedian, but my material fit in so well with these two comedy shows and great audiences. Um, my understanding is that Jack would entertain having me down there to, to do a, a solo show. Okay. And so I'm going to explore that and, and I'll be sure to let you know if and when that happens. Well, I, you know, I'll be there. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, I, I, I've been lucky enough to read occasionally when somebody's in the audience that, that takes my work to the next level. Okay. And, and what do you mean by that? What is taking your work to the next level? Uh, getting out of the, uh, um, the open mic where there's a bunch of drunks in the background. Okay which can be very difficult to read poetry to a bunch of drunks that really don't care. <laughs> um, Same to playing music to a bunch of drunks who sure, really don't care. Sure. Um, and I've, uh, you know, I've been to, um, I actually drove clear down to Black Diamond. Okay. Which I honestly don't remember what the mileage was, but it's, you know, it's a two hour drive. Uh, but it was a, a gathering of poets. And so going to the next level takes me out of the bar scene and away from the drunks to what I consider to be a, an audience of like minds and peers and people that are there to hear the poetry. Okay. No, that's awesome because, you know, I, I'd had that in my list of things I wanted to ask you was of all the places you've played, what are some of the more challenging ones and what are some of the ones that have been more accepting of, of what you do not just as another performer, but that people are there to see you. And the Paul's Bohemian Coffee House comes to mind in Paulsbo. I've read there a couple of times, and again, that's a gather a gathering of poets. Well, um, the name Bohemian sounds pretty, yeah, pretty uh, <laughs> apropos for that particular area. Um, I drove down. It's been, oh, Mike, I don't remember how long ago. Oh, probably over a year ago. I heard about slam poetry, and I had no idea what poetry slams or slam poetry was. Other than I thought it was two angry black guys shouting down each other's throats, you know, um, it came to the realization that there is a very strict set of rules. Um, but I drove down to Olympia and competed in a, in a poetry slam. And so slam being a competition. Yes. Okay. Yes. 
So the way the, the way the Olympia slam went was there were five slots and they basically, it was a lottery. So there was six or seven poets there for those five slots. Um, the first time I read there, um, I have this kind of a little shtick that I do where I'll at the microphone, if, especially if I do a self introduction, I'll say, you know, I've reached that age where I have to slip on my reading glasses and I'll reach in my pocket and I'll put on my Ray-Ban shades. <laughs> and I always get a little response a little from chuckle. the audience. Yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, it's, it's a great shtick. Um, while I didn't say I'm going to put on my, I'm, and maybe I did at this poetry slam, I put my glasses on, I read my poem and the audience, I mean, they, they actually have five judges in the audience and they score you, they throw out the high and the low score and they add up the, the three in the middle. And I was preparing for my next poem because my scores were such that I knew I was going to the next round, but I got eliminated in the first round. Oh, and I didn't understand why until the whole gig was over and I was literally in my vehicle with the, with the truck started getting ready to drive home when there was a knock on the window and the scorekeeper girl said, I need to explain to you why you were eliminated. And I said, yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd, I'd love to know, <laughs> I'd love to know yeah. <laughs> you know, especially when six or seven people on my way out the door were like, dude, you got screwed, you know? Right. Um, but I didn't raise a fuss. And basically what she said was when you added your sunglasses, we considered that a costume or a prop. So I said, okay, so now let me get this clear in my mind. I wasn't eliminated. I was disqualified. And she said, yes, you were disqualified. I said, then that should have been an announcement made at the microphone, not at me sitting in my car. Sure. So to give the Olympia group a, uh, a second chance, I went back again two weeks later and I was lucky enough to be in the lottery and get into the queue. And, uh, I read a poem and I went to the next round and I read again and I ended up placing third out of five Okay, and felt pretty good about that. Sure. So then I heard about a storytelling slam with the Rain City Poetry Slam group in Seattle. And it was the first time that they had decided to do a, po a, a storytelling slam. So um, the rules were a little bit different. Instead of four minutes, it was five. And if you wanted to use props or a musical instrument, you could. And so I went over and I read two poems and I placed second out of five at Seattle, which I thought was much higher competition than the, than the Olympia gig. Just sheer numbers alone would, it, yes, would be indicative yes. of that. Yeah. The talent in Seattle was huge and it made me feel really good to come out of there with, with a second place. It yeah. just, I felt really good. Dude, about that's that. awesome. So is that, is that the kind of stuff that you find yourself now being more drawn to, or do you have a preference on the kind of places you like to play at? Um, I, I don't know that I'll do any more slam stuff. Okay. I would, I would love to go. In fact, just this past weekend, there was a cowboy poetry gathering in Ellensburg, Washington. And at one time I was trying to figure out, is it going to be worth my time to drive over to Ellensburg and read at a couple of open mics and see what happens? And then the whole deal came up with Shady Jacks at Silverdale and sure. Ellensburg really got put on the back burner. But um, I, I think I would love to read. Um, I understand Astoria, Oregon has a Fisher Poet Society. Oh, my wife and I are from Oregon. Okay. And uh, we love 
the Oregon coast and Southern Oregon and whatnot. So Astoria, uh, filming of the Goonies, by the way, in case you didn't know, one of the most iconic movies ever made, in my opinion, but uh, Goonies was filmed in Astoria. And it's got that kind of Cannon Beach vibe to it with the big, awesome rock formations out there and a, the really old school, super boardwalk vibe to it. Love Astoria. So you should go there just to go there. Well, and that that's my thought. I don't know that my poetry would fit into necessarily the Fisher poetry as easily as it fits in or could fit into cowboy poetry. But I would love to go down to Astoria and take in the Fisher Poet Society gathering just just to hear what's happening. Well, you know, that whole area is very just artistically inclined. So regardless of what genre you find yourself fitting into, I, I tend to find those areas and like... Um, Ashland and, you know, Medford and some of these, they're just, they're very bohemian. They're very beatnik (laughs) for lack of a better way to put it. And just really accepting of any kind of independent art. So uh, you'd fit in down in there. Awesome. Well, the funny thing is I lived in Medford for uh, about a year. I lived and worked down there for about a year, but this was before I was writing poetry. So, um, but I found a, 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 community kind of like what you're talking about at Tokeland, Washington. Okay. And, um, I was invited out there. Part of my garden art business, um, had me with an invitation to go out and be part of Woodfest, which is a wood carving art festival. And the Did first like chainsaw art. kind oh, of wood yeah. Carving? Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Plus, love it. plus all the other artisans, including metal artists. And as okay. a metal artist at a wood show, I did pretty good, you nice. know, um, but they had a little open mic thing that they did on the back porch of the historic haunted Tokeland Hotel. And so I've shared some of my poetry on the back porch at the hotel. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm planning to be down there in May for the studio tour and again in July for Woodfest. Um, and the, the community just welcomed me. I mean, just, um, and part of what I did was they have a, uh, for the studio tour, they have a, a, an auction, a silent auction and a live auction. And so last year when I was down there, late April, I auctioned a signed copy of my poem, Brother Raven. And so I read the poem and we started the auction with that for sale. And it was a great way to start the auction. Awesome. Well, I say that we need to hear that right now. I'm prepared to do that. Do right it now. right now. Uh, now, let me give you my inspiration for this poem. Uh, flying down the highway, looking out ahead of me, thought I saw something. And when I got there, it wasn't what I thought I saw. Okay. And I wrote this poem called Brother Raven. On the Heritage. On the Heritage. Nice. <clears throat> Cruising eastbound Utah 30 in the distance to my right, a hazy shape emerges through the thick air of twilight. A raptor sits upon a fence, plumage ruffled by the breeze. He is delicately balanced, wooden fence rail, talons seize. It seems as though he owns the world, so elegant and regal. I wonder, could he be a falcon or possibly an eagle? I'm thinking he might be the czar of this desert haven. He could be that old trickster you know, Brother Raven. He surveys his surroundings with ever-watchful eye. If his interest should be piqued, he would then mount the sky, but... As I'm rolling closer, an error does seem clear. What I thought I saw back there is not the same up here. No, flesh and feathers can't define this ebony scallywag. I am chagrined by my mistake. He's a tattered garbage bag. (laughs) And honestly, Mike, that is... I, I mean, I have have several favorites, but that is definitely one of my favorites. Uh, You know... 
your stuff always has some kind of a little a little twist in it like just like in that particular instance where what you thought you saw wasn't what you actually saw your writing starts out one way and ends up another way often whether or not it starts out innocent and gets into the adult humor or starts out with the adult humor and then kind of tapers off at the end yeah. and becomes something that's all encompassing so uh I almost spit out my whiskey. <laughs> okay. Well, that would have been a terrible waste. That would have, no, yeah, right. One of the one of the nicest compliments I've ever been paid was a young lady. I think I was over near uh, Lewiston, Idaho, and I shared this poem with with some folks. And this lady says, "I can't believe you got um, chagrined and scallywag in the same poem." Yeah, right. <laughs> Those are like uh, Pee Wee's words of the day, right on yeah. Pee Wee's Playhouse. That's crazy. So. You're starting, though, to to book. I mean, you're starting to get a good amount of shows and the word is getting out and, and you're not going out there saying, hey, I want to do this. People are asking for you. There's probably a little bit of both. Uh, a, a little bit, yeah, a little yeah. bit of both. Um, and, and I love to tell the story about reading at Brother Don's one night. And uh, it was right after Jeff Tassin had taken a group down near Salem, Oregon, uh, a group of musicians kind of on the road to mm-hmm. a place called uh, Stangeland. It's, it's a, a vineyard. And, and I don't know whether it's Stangeland Vineyard or Stan, Stangeland Winery. But ultimately, the owner of that vineyard was at Brother Don's. She grew up in the Bremerton area. Her name is Ruth. I happen to read <laughs> the story about, about the redheaded waitress named Ruth. Did she have red hair? Uh, she did not. Oh, that would have been even better. Uh, but it, as in in that poem, Ruth's boyfriend's name was Bob, and her boyfriend at some point way back in the day, her boyfriend's name was Bob. That's fucking hilarious. But ultimately, <laughs> I ended up uh, with an invitation to go to the winery and read poems for uh, a, a big convention sort of thing that they were having at their vineyard. Other Other vineyards came and... Uh, and again, speaking of compliments, one of the compliments that I heard that night was from a fellow vintner that said, I think vintner is the right word. Yeah. The winemaker. Yes. Yeah. Um, when she said to Ruth, Ruth, we got your email. You told us that you were having a motorcycle poet here for the, for the entertainment. And we thought you were crazy, but we love that guy. <laughs> so I happen to overhear that and it, you know, it's, it's, it's comments like that that just tell me I'm, I'm doing it right, you know, and and having fun doing it right. So motorcycle poetry kind of being what you're known for, although it's clear that that's not all you do. Um, what are you looking forward to in the future? Are you thinking you're going to, you're going to branch out and do different kinds of that? Or is that just something you feel comfortable doing? I feel very comfortable writing the poetry um, with my history in community theater. Um, I would love to take this to a one man show. I would, I okay. would, I would love to take it to the stage. Yeah. And you, you were talking with me a little bit off air before we got started. You know, you've been asked about possibly, you know, writing stuff down or doing books or things like that. Um, where do you think you're at with that sometime in the future? Right now, I probably have uh, about 60 minutes of memorized, uh, completed and memorized work. Like you could go up and do a show for an hour. Right. Plus, probably a little bit more, given that there's stories involved between yeah, each one. Right. And, and I really think that where I need to be is I need to have about 
two hours worth of material so that I could do an hour an intermission and then, and then close with an hour. Okay. Um, I've probably got 12 or 14 poems that are in some sort of state unfinishedness. Sure. Um, and I think unfinishedness is a word. It is now. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like when I coined the term frisbee bunny, which we'll come back to here in a minute. <laughs> I don't even know what to think. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can, I can feature doing a one man show, but having a chap book or a coffee table book or a CD or a DVD um, so that at intermission people can pick up my work and take it home. And it's it, it, like when we were talking off air, I don't necessarily write for you to pick up a book and read my work. I write to perform my work. Right. Uh, and and I, I think that that's great for me, but not necessarily um, good for the reader because. Uh, well, you know, it's like, it's like reading the lyrics to a song, you know, exactly. you, you get, you get the words, but you don't get the emotion or the feel behind it. And, and it's funny you say that I, uh, I have a poem that, that I'll probably close with tonight that, um, I have brought grown men to tears with this poem, but oh, there's, man. but there's also a little bit of humor in it. Um, I mean, when you've got an angel that says bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Now, hold on a second. Hold on. So hold on. I think I've heard this. You've performed this one. I think I performed it at Brother Don's the night you Um, were there. And and speaking of which, making people cry, you know, when I was texting you earlier, you had mentioned that somebody had introduced you one time as the, uh, the guy that makes you laugh, then makes you cry, then makes you laugh again. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's epic. I mean, because the whole range of emotion, um, the biggest compliment that you can get as any kind of a performing audi- uh, artist is looking out in your audience and seeing a genuine look of emotion on their face. Now, they could be pissed at you. Exactly. <laughs> they could yeah. hate your fucking ass. They could love you. They could be in tears. They could be laughing. But something that is genuine that draws an emotional response is the the highlight of what you could possibly ask for from a creative basis. And uh, I read at a uh, kind of a private 4th of July party one time that ended up just being one great big open mic. Right. And I finished my set and went and sat down and the the folks I was sitting with were, you know, kind of giving me, hey, that, you know, good set, good set, love your stuff. And there was a hand on my shoulder and I turned to look and it was this beautiful silver haired lady and so I jumped up out of my chair and she said, I've got a son that rides a Harley. And I said, and I'll bet you pray for him. And her and I burst into tears simultaneously. And she hugged me just like my mama used to do. Crazy. And, and, and out of nowhere, out of nowhere. But, but that poem resonated with her just like it resonated to the 350 pound, six foot eight guy that gave me a chiropractic bear hug and told me <laughs> not very many people can make him cry, you know, but, but I did. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Was he behind you or in front of you when he gave you that bear hug? He was in front of me. Oh, yeah. Face to face. Man, he hugged me up big time. Oh, that's crazy. Well, before we get into this epic, uh, emotionally drawing poem that that I know that we're about to hear from you, um, I'm curious, you touched on it a little bit, and I know that we can't spend a whole ton of time on this one, but um, the the yard art, the the whole Bob War... Because you're artistic in your poetry, 
but you've also got this other physical thing you've got going on where you're producing physical works of art for people. Tell us about the, the that whole the whole thing. Okay, so and again, in trying to keep this short, I have to tell you, I I have a day job, sure, but I got a really cool day job, right? I work for a company called Reliable Storage. Right. They have seven sites in Kitsap County, and all seven sites, they do this interesting thing where they do a two-manager system. Okay. So all seven of their sites, there's two apartments on each site, and there's two managers that live and work there uh, 24-7, but you work every other week. So I do my six days. I do Monday through Saturday. Okay. And then the following week, I have off. Okay. So that's when I started this. Well, I, for a long time, I was a handyman and, and the handyman business kind of went south in about 2009. And uh, I found myself looking for work and found that reliable storage needed a manager. So I went to work for them and I started uh, this garden art business. So on my week off, I work harder physically, throw an iron around. <laughs> right. And uh, my signature piece uh, is is a garden sculpture that's a barbed wire bird's nest. So barbed wire and bob war. <laughs> bob war is how my Oki granddad said barbed wire. Right. It wasn't a barbed wire fence. It was a bob war fence. <laughs> is that is, so, my wife's from the south and her family's from the south and I don't have her mic'd up right now, but is that pretty accurate? Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah, she's laughing. It's it's fairly accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Bob Bob War is basically one word. Um so when I'm doing the garden art business, I am Bob War of Bob War Creations. And I'm gonna give myself I'm gonna shamelessly self-promote myself. I've Plug got, it. I've got two shows coming up in March. The first weekend in March, I will be at Josephine's Redeemed Revival at the Kitsap County Fairgrounds in Bremerton. Okay. And then the uh, middle of March, I, I don't remember whether that's 15, 16, 17, something like that. I'm back there again for the Kitsap Home... Kitsap Home and Kitsap, Garden Show? Kitsap Builders Association oh. Home and Garden Show, which again, I'm shamelessly self-promoting myself. I received the award for the best garden art entry last year at that show. So I'm really looking forward to being back there this year. So what do you, at these shows, I mean, are, are you selling stuff? Or are oh, you, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, so, the, so you are a working artist in that sense. Yes. That's epic. So, and, and like I say, my signature piece is a barbed wire bird's nest. Typically the baby birds are needle nose pliers with that they're just it looks like their beak they, it looks up, like right? their beaks wide open and, okay. and and at a garage sale was where i got the inspiration for this baby bird thing um i i typically do an adult or sometimes two adults and they are larger needle nose pliers feeding the juveniles um cotter pins cotter keys okay um uh, <laughs> I've done crescent wrenches, feeding smaller crescent wrenches, nuts and bolts. I, you know, I've done a lot of things, but kind of nature inspired though. Um, that particular piece, yes. Mm -hmm. Anything but, motorcycle inspired? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Uh, you're familiar with fishtail mufflers? Yeah. Okay, so I had an old fishtail muffler that was probably about three feet long, and a newer fishtail muffler that was maybe a foot and a half long. That's pretty short for a fishtail. Yeah, it was, it was shorty slip-ons yeah, okay, as opposed gotcha. to the, the, the older style. The monster yeah. old style that you get so, on like the uh, and stuff. I went and found a 12-inch motorcycle rim, and I had a 16-inch motorcycle rim off of a Harley, um, and I cut those 
it's a little bit abstract and I, I wish you could see it, um, but it sold. I'm closing my eyes. <laughs> okay. I'm so, visioning it in my head. Um, I, I cut the wheels so that it, it looked like a mouth wide open. Okay. On the fish, which was the fishtail the muffler. Fishtail muffler, sure. So I've got the big fishtail muffler and the big wheel coming up underneath the small fishtail muffler and, and, and the small wheel. And I titled it Chrome Sushi. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it sold. And I, I have some more fishtail mufflers. I just, I'm gathering enough stuff to do another one. It won't be exactly the same, but it, it, it'll be close. Oh, man. Um, I, have, uh, I, I have a fender off of uh, a custom bike that ultimately I think is going to be a, a big fat kind of a belly on a, on a biker dude. Uh, I, I have a vision. I just, I just have to gather the pieces. I call myself a found object artist and I really never know what I'm going to make right. un, until I find something to make it out of. Well, you see the material and then it, it invokes a vision in your head. Oh, and, absolutely. And, and that's you, yeah. you've now that you've, you've seen the raw material and you, you just know where you're going to go with it. Right. <clears throat> yes. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes that can take, um, I mean, I built a gate for some folks up in Port Townsend. And I had two six foot tall buggy rims, the, the, the steel belt off of a buggy rim. And those sat around my shop for probably 18 months before yeah. I, before I realized that I could make this wonderful gate with those. Um, so, you know, I've got, I've got tons and literally tons and tons <laughs> of metal. Well, it's metal. Yeah. So there you go. It's tons of metal. Yeah. That's crazy. So. I know we're running a little longer than normal, but we have just a couple more that we really want to share with you guys. So before we wind this down, Craig, I say we got room for about uh, two more. What do you say? Let's do this. So let me back up the calendar to 2006. Okay. My mom was down in, she lived down in Oklahoma and um, she had fallen and broken her shoulder. Oh. My son and I decided we were going to go down and see her. So my then wife, now ex, and my son and I flew into Dallas. Craig Jr. and I rented Harleys. And while my wife stayed and visited her brother, we rode up, Craig and I rode up to Oklahoma to see my mom. And in the course of that, we, um, we went out to a, a, a Roadhouse. I mean, it was basically straight off of Patrick Swayze's movie Roadhouse. <laughs> Thought we'd never find the place, but for when, a nice Buick, well, call yeah, Craig Gurney. Yeah. <laughs> um, my uh, nephew was playing in the band out there, crazy. and um, you know, again, uh, off air, I'll tell you the, the the story about that. But ultimately, we went out to hear Clint's band play. Okay, and I got introduced to a group called Baca, B A C A, which is Bikers Against Child Abuse. We know it well. We follow them on the interwebs. Okay. So, um, and now again, stop and consider this was 2006. Okay. And um, we were invited to ride with them the following day. And you we rode with them. We, we did. We rode with the, the local chapter down there in uh, Weatherford, Oklahoma. And they had a run going and we got invited and we spent a little bit of time with them and we had a ball. Dude, just that is amazing. Okay. That's fucking amazing. Well, um, and I, I didn't mean to go this deep into the story, but no, no, I, do I it. have to. Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, this, this is a good story, Mike. It. it really is. So we're on rented bikes and we were looking for this place and I don't remember what it was called, but 
we keep looking and looking and it's over here. It's over and we're, we're stopping and asking directions and we can't find it. And finally somebody says, well, they changed the name of it. So you're looking for a ghost. The place you're looking for is Bullwinkles or whatever it was. Okay. And here's how you get there. So you go to the end of the pavement and then you go to the end of the gravel and then you go to the end of the wagon track and there's Bullwink. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we roll into this place and the parking lot is full and the music is pounding and there's no parking. So we park way the hell out in the boonies and we turn the bikes off and this voice says, Hey, you can't park out there. Oh shit. He says, you got to bring them up here by the door so I can keep an eye on them. Okay. So we fire up the bikes and we roll them up by the door and the bouncer says, I'll keep an eye on them for you. So my son, in his infinite wisdom, he says, are you ready to be a rock star? And I said, what are you talking about? And he says, dude, these guys have assigned parking spaces out here. We are fresh meat. We're going to walk through the door and everybody's going to look at us. Are you ready to be a rock star? Sure. Sure. Why not? And I kid you not, man, we opened the door and guys were pausing their beer mid lift. And the pool cues stopped. You could hear like the oh, record needle scratching dude, I'm telling the jukebox you, man, shutting down. It was kind of spooky. <laughs> and um, the bartender says, what do you have? And Craig Jr. said, how about a Corona? He goes, Bud or Bud Light. <laughs> <laughs> That's just, like that bar you and I used to go to. <laughs> <laughs> so Craig says, I'll take a Bud. <laughs> He says, how about you? And I said, uh, you got a Pepsi? He goes, water? And I said, water would be just fine. <laughs> so, uh, and, and so he slams our drinks down on the counter and he says, you boys aren't from around here or something like that, sure, you know? Yeah. And I said, no, I'm down here because uh, uh, Clint's playing in the band and he's my nephew. And he goes, Clint's your nephew? <laughs> So suddenly we're like long lost yeah, family. All sudden, oh yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden you're in the in crowd. The bartender and my nephew Clint are like best buds. Okay. So crazy. The next thing that happens is a little blonde gal comes over and wants to know if Craig Jr. wants to dance. And he's like, no, I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So we got to ride with these guys the next day. They were having a run and we got to ride with them. And, um, Fast forward now to, honestly, Mike, it, it had to be six or seven years later that I got an invitation from the Bainbridge Island Arts and Humanities Council to write a poem or submit a poem, and the theme was Don't Be Afraid. Okay. Now, I have never written to a theme. I've never, I've, I've it's kind of like an assignment almost. It, it is. And, and, yeah. and I, I just, I, I didn't know if it was going to work or not, but I sat down at my computer and I wrote a poem and it happened. It, when I finished it, it just happened to be the 24 lines plus the title that were part of the box that I had to write inside of. Okay. And it, it had to have, it had to work with the theme. Don't be afraid. And I wrote a poem titled horse thief, Frank, and it's about Baca. Okay. Um, now, what you have to understand is this is a, it's a dynamite subject. I mean, it, it can blow up at any time. Sure. Child abuse is terrible. Yes. This poem is very hard for me to read. Okay. 
So we're going to get something super emotional and personal to you. Very, very. And I love to read it because it never, it never fails. When I share this poem, somebody comes to me and either says how much the poem means to them. Okay. Or they mention, we just heard about Baca or we just saw something happening with Baca. So it's, it's, it's just fortuitous for me to read that poem at that particular time. Okay. So what I did was I called the Baca, um, their main office kind of a thing. I was hoping to talk to this guy named chief road name. Okay. Um, um, he's the guy. His real name's not chief. I don't know. (laughs) It might be. (laughs) Uh, but I ended up talking to their international public relations officer, a guy named Ish. Okay. And I said, Ish, here's the thing. I've written a poem and I want to share it publicly, but I want Baca's blessing before I go out public with it. And can I share it with you? And he said, yeah, sure. Lay it on me. So I read the poem and there was kind of this three count pause. One, two, three. And he says, dude, that's deep. He says, sure that every chance you get. Okay. So, um, again, um, very difficult for me to read, but I love reading it because it gets Baca's name out there and it gets people knowing what they're doing for people that don't know, uh, bikers against child abuse. Um, they are folks that will, uh, they will stand guard 24 seven at a kid's house because sometimes the abuser, the accused abuser might try to intimidate them by driving by their house, those kind of things. Baca will accompany a child to court so that they have friendly faces in the audience and, and a family in the audience to, uh, uh, to be there for them because facing an, a, an accused abuser can be very difficult for a young person. Right. And this is a subject that is very near and dear to the heart of my wife. So uh, we are very familiar with uh, Bikers Against Child Abuse. So I wrote this poem called Horse Thief Frank. All right. Horse thief Frank and his posse were at a diner across town called The Chutes. Frank and his posse aren't cowboys, although most of them wear cowboy boots. They wear leather vests with their name on the chest and a big old patch on the back. B-A-C-A, tattooed on a fist, red and white and black. Horse thief Frank and his posse are fighting a crime that has no excuse. These men and women are warriors. They are bikers against child abuse. Now the joint comes alive as two more bikes arrive and the posse steps out to greet them. The passengers are VIPs. Each warrior is honored to meet them. Frank gathers the posse. He, they circle up with the passengers inside the ring. He asks for divine intervention, then says, let's get on with this thing. You see, Frank and his posse are going to court, a trip they know all too well. They will stand in support of two very small angels. These angels have experienced hell. Don't be afraid, little sister. As you proceed to that courtroom so cold, you are empowered today by your new family and your story demands to be told. Don't be afraid, little brother, as you recount your innocence lost. Look the world in the eye, then tell them why your abuser must pay the cost. No, don't be afraid, little angels. If you falter, lift your eyes to the crowd. You'll find comfort and strength to continue. Your voices will be strong and loud. So Frank takes his place. He's the leader. The posse lines up two abreast. The VIP angels are secure on their seats, and Frank's doing what he does best. He'll lead this group to the courthouse, but in his mind he drifts back 50 years. 
to a time on a ranch in Montana and his young brother's face streaked with tears when he said, Don't be afraid, little brother. I will let no more harm come your Then he borrowed a horse, and with Frank Leiden, of course, a posse was formed on that. That's, that's amazing. Clearly an emotional story for you. I got to ask, is there something behind that? Yeah, there is. Yeah. You don't have to get into it, but uh, clearly something touches a chord in you. Oh, absolutely. When you read that. So the reason for you to, to, to read that is, is, is that born out of something that you just need to do personally or? I, I don't know that I need to do it, but I'm, I'm never hesitant to share my story. Um, and the interesting thing about that poem is I've come to the realization that it's not done yet. Okay. I thought it was because it fit in the box of the invitation that I got to write a poem about Don't Be Afraid with the theme Don't Be Afraid. When um, you got that invitation, did you know you were going to read that or did you write that for that? I wrote it specifically for that for that invitation. In okay. fact, in fact, the 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 first line in that poem, I had placed it on the back burner, and the first line originally read, "Horse thief Frank and his brother drank at a bar across town called the Shoots." But it, I didn't want I didn't want there to be any drinking with with Baca, and and right. uh, and 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 it was understandable. Um, so I changed that line ever so slightly and made it Frank and his posse and then the angels. Um, But uh, there's, there's a whole nother chapter to that particular story. That's going to take a very dark and difficult subject. And it's going to put a little bit of humor in it without taking anything away from the original message. But it's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. It's close. It is so close. So you had my wife in tears. So I'm watching Marsha as you're, you're, I don't want to say reading. I mean, you're from the heart, um, reciting, uh, nothing more raw and emotional than something with a subject matter. That's no other words to describe it, but very deep and personal, very deep and personal. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for sharing that one. I am almost, uh, hard to believe that. You know, <laughs> I'm I'm looking at my meter on my clock, and I'm like, man, I could have almost missed that, um, and I would have regretted that infinitely had you not stopped me and said, "Hold on a second, man." <laughs> so, epic mo- motorcycle poetry, epic yard art, uh, creativity from both sides of a spectrum. Um, man, you're just kind of all over the place. That's just uh, that's awesome. So. Before we get into this final closing poem that uh, I can't wait to hear from you, um, tell everybody where they can find you on the interwebs if they want to book you, if they want to get in touch with you. How do we find you in the world? You can find me on Facebook. My name is Craig Gurney Sr. Because there is a tattooed and pierced Craig Gurney Jr. (laughs) And that kid is handsome. Yeah. I mean, he's just... So he looks nothing like you. No, 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 nothing like me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm also on Facebook, uh, as Bob war creations, B O B W A H R Bob war. I'm also on Instagram as Bob war creations. I don't have a website yet. 
Okay. Uh, kind of been working on that, but I'm not real technical and, you know, I'm busy making art and writing poems. Yeah, you know, that's my <laughs> excuse too. That's why I don't have a website either. Well, I am looking forward to, I need to check you out again live for sure. Okay. Um, and of course, open door anytime you got something new, you want to come back on and plug your stuff. You come hang out with me. We'll have you back on the show anytime you want. Um, so let's close out this episode of Misery Point Radio with your last poem of the evening. And uh, I, I just got to give you the the backstory on this one was I read at an open mic in Silverdale and the host came over to my table after my set and he said, dude, you're writing songs. You just need music behind right. your words. And I, I said, I understand that, but I really, that's not what I do. He encouraged me the next time I was inspired to write verse, verse, chorus instead of <laughs> writing one big, long poem. Oh, man. And this is no shit, Mike, between Silverdale and Suquamish, which I'm guessing is about 20 miles. Yeah. yeah. I wrote this poem that I titled Riding with an Angel. And I read the verses and I sing the chorus and you know, we're, we're doing this acapella and I have no idea what my voice is going to sound like to my singing voice is going to sound like tonight. But, um, I changed very few words when I got home and pinned this thing on paper. I, I literally changed very few words. It just, it flowed between Silverdale and Suquamish. This poem is about my mom specifically, but all mothers in general. And I titled it Riding with an Angel. Called my mom the other day, said I'm riding the Harley down to visit you in that dried up windblown Oklahoma town. She wondered, hon, why don't you fly? You'll get here in a hurry. I told her I'll be flying just real low. Now, mama, don't you worry. Ah, but worrying, that's what mamas do, that and praying hard. Washing the windshield on the bike out there in the yard, I felt a little foolish. Could have swore I heard a voice. I'll be riding with you, boy, and you ain't got no choice. Talk to mama. She said, son, I'll say a prayer for you. You don't have to thank me. That's just something mamas do. I'll ask the Lord to keep you safe and make your life so rich. I'll ask him if he's got an angel. Don't mind riding, bitch. The miles ahead seemed endless in the evening's faded light. About halfway to nowhere, that voice said, Hey, stop for the night. Took a curve a little fast, felt the rear tire skidding. That voice said, This is bullshit. Pull it over. I ain't kidding. Filled the tank and grabbed a bite and realized it's half past late. Tossed and turned in a wore-out bed at a wore-out Super 8. Tooralooralura. Tooralooralai. Could have swore I heard that voice sing an Irish lullaby. Talk to mama. She said, son, I'll say a prayer for you. You don't have to thank me. That's just something mamas do. I'll ask the Lord to keep you safe and make your life so rich. I'll ask him if he's got an angel. Don't mind riding, bitch. I rode through hail and sun and dust and rain. Close calls? Well, I had a few. But in every situation, seems like I knew just what to do. Watch out for that beamer. There's a pothole in this lane. You better back it off a notch. There's a trooper in a plane. Rolled on up to Mama's house. She greeted me with a grin. She said, Hun, you must be hungry. Now tell your friend to come on in. And I said, Mom, I rode down here alone. There ain't no one out there. 
That voice said, boy, you ain't alone because your mama said a prayer. Now, mama went to heaven right after I rode down to visit her in that dried-up, wind-blown Oklahoma town. That voice said, boy, your mama took charge as soon as she ascended. She called a meeting, a celestial assembly, and made sure every angel attended. She matched up an angel with every biker mom's request. She said, there'll be no hesitation now, y'all just do your best. The guidelines are quite simple. You get your ass down there every time a biker's mother says a biker mother's prayer. So brothers and sisters, when you ride, just one thing you should know. You ain't riding alone. Because my mama's up there telling angels where to go. Yeah, I talked to mama and she said, son, I'll say a prayer for you. How do you not feel that? That is the only question I have for anybody out there. So, uh, Craig Gurney, thank you for hanging out today on Misery Point Radio. Looking forward to having you back again. Looking forward to seeing you live in person at some of your shows. And looking forward to fucking riding some motorcycles. I look forward to all of that as well, Mike. I really do. Thank you so much for inviting me down. Yeah. So, all of you guys out there, Check him out on all of his social media sites. Check him out on the interwebs. Go see him live. And hell, he'd probably ride some bikes with you. So uh, thanks again, as always, for hanging out with me today on Misery Point Radio. Check out the show on Facebook, on Instagram, on iHeartRadio, on Spotify, on Spreaker, on Stitcher, on all of the crazy internet radio sites. And I'll look forward to talking to you again real soon on Misery Point Radio. <laughs>